From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 131. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Hello. Johnny, I've heard that the, the weather is acting a little bit strange now over in Chicago with the um, um, with a bit of smoke uh, and stuff. Yeah, um, looking out the window, it's the sky looks really strange. <laughs> it's it's like it's like clear blue sky, but it's like uh, it's like strangely hazy. So it, it's yeah, I don't know. It's really strange. Um, and the and the and the sky is just sort of a it's a weird color. Has it, <laughs> so has it's hard it's hard to describe. Has it has it got presidential orange yet? Uh, it is slightly presidential orange right now. I'm looking at it. The sun is still kind of low in the sky, and it's a it's a wee bit orange. Yeah. And how's things over in Hong Kong sky wise? Our sky always looks like smoke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you're just you're just seeing the uh, the Hong Kong view over there. Things are okay. It's been hot and alternating between thunderstorms and uh, ridiculously hot. So I haven't actually been able to get out and shoot that much. But otherwise, I'm all right. Okay. Well, um, first thing before we uh, move on, I just want to say thank to thank you to Dan Tamarkin uh, for yes. actually making Leica and rangefinders in general interesting last week. That was such a such an awesome show. <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. <laughs> Although I do have a follow up question for Johnny. Um, yep. Hearing you and Dan, you know, doing your 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 local rabbiting on, is it Chicago or is it? Chicago. Uh, it's Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Because both there's of no, you say there's no there's no cha sound. But both of you said it with a cha sound. Repeatedly. No. No. Yes. No, no, no. Oh yes. No, I don't think so. I think you did. <laughs> we have the tapes. <laughs> yeah, both of you. Every time you said it, Chicago. He said it first, and then it came out in you. Uh, I, I was not aware of that. That's all I can say because it's it's definitely Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we now we cleared that one up. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's head over to Hong Kong and see what what Perry's bought this week. Um. Well, I mean, an episode like last week's is obviously going to trigger uh, extreme gas, um, and and I can't say that I've been immune to that. Although. Uh, the first thing that I ended up buying after that show, uh, it arrived recently, and um, I'm just going to show you. Oh, that's pretty erect. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was that little moment towards the end where Dan told us that the uh, advanced levers are interchangeable uh, on most of the Leicas. And so... I immediately got it in my head that I need an M2, M3 style advanced lever for my M4. Uh, so I went on eBay and I found that there was one on sale in Vietnam. Uh, so I bought it and the dude shipped it over and it arrived in like two days, which is uh, incredibly fast for COVID post. Um, so yes, I have this incredibly phallic thing in my hand, uh, you know, more more so than usual. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was just going. No, I can't go there now. Um, but I've got to say, it does actually look more phallic when it's not when it's not on the camera as well. That's a, that's an odd thing. Of course, because when it's on the camera, you don't hold it at this angle. 
<laughs> and you can you can make it go up. I can make it. I can rotate it because, like on the camera, it would move away from the tip, right? As you're advancing the lever, so it kind of hangs like that. <laughs> but but when you have it in your hand, you can make it do all kinds of stuff. You know, go up like this. You can rotate it. So any anyway, um, it looks like a dick. Uh, but this thing will be going on my N4 soon. Uh, I'm going to bring it over to my repair guy. He said he can just do it on the spot in like five minutes. So yeah, wait for I'm a gonna report. I'm going to paint it black first. No, my, M, my, my M4 is not black. My okay. M6 is black, black chrome. Uh, no, my M4 is just traditional silver chrome. So it's just going to okay. go on there. Although it does mean that if I ever get that thing repainted, um, this part will, will go with it. So. Yeah. Thank you, Dan Tamarkin, for making me buy one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever bought. Uh, I, I also thought about getting replacement M2, M3 style levers on the front for the self-timer and the frame line preview. But then I realized those are purely aesthetic. Those are like the Batman stickers on Johnny's best. It's purely there to pimp it out. Whereas yeah. this actually has a functional purpose, right? I, I find this lever significantly more pleasing to use than the M4 plastic t- tip lever. Right. So at least I can kind of justify sure. it uh, from a stupid gas point of view. That makes sense. Yeah, there you go. Show over time. Looks like a dick. Uh, so apart from that, so thanks for that gas, Dan. Um, I, I got another really weird package today um, that I picked up from the post office. Really heavy thing and I went to open it. And uh, it's something that I have been discussing uh, with friend of the show, Ethan Moses, but he has sent me a prototype of his new mongoose. Uh, he calls it the mongoose. It's a film digitizing thingy. Um, and I'm going to try to describe this. It, it, it basically looks like two black plastic rectangular things. Uh, one bit where the film goes in and another, you know, those, um, what are they called? You know, if you play an electric guitar, sometimes you've got these levers oh, that you step on. Like an effects box. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. So the other piece looks like a really ghetto one of those. Um, cause it's got a couple little dials on it and it's basically just a black box. So it looks like, it looks like one of those, uh, electric guitar pedals. And the other piece is the film holder. So, um, I mean, it, it looks it looks very nondescript, but what it does is. I was, was going to say when you, when you say nondescript, um, I think you've been rather kind there, aren't you? Really, um, and I've, I've got to, I've got to say I was I was chatting to Ethan on Tuesday. We were recording this on Wednesday, by the way, um, and um, was I chatting to him on Monday? That was it. I was chatting to him on Monday, and uh, in the he hadn't really been keeping up with events. And he sent across a a picture of and video of his uh, of the the latest version of the mongoose, which I've I've seen coming along there for a while now, and um, and I basically said to him, um, yeah, it's looking good, but you really need to sort the way it looks, because it it looks really really ropey, and um, and he then and and he then goes, uh, oh, and it's a bit noisy as well, and uh, and he then goes, it launches on Kickstarter tomorrow. <laughs> oh dear oh dear um and um and so i then had I, so having given him this uh this sage advice uh that nobody's going to buy it or back it on on kickstarter um i head over to kickstarter right now and press the refresh button and 
it has a total of to reach of 22 no, 23,200 and it's at 22,580 it is almost at its goal after 24 hours so it just pretty much shows what I know about this I mean I, I think it is a legitimate question why is it so heavy uh, and why is it so ugly um, well only I, yeah I, I was just wondering why it didn't have any weird colored bits on it right right it, it doesn't have any stupid colors um, it's not like purple and orange and stuff like that it's just black um, but I mean the concept is cool right because it's yeah. like it's, it, it, it's functional I like I like it just purely because it's functional yeah but but again you know why does it look so dumb you know if, if only someone could tell us why it is why why does it need to look like this why does 3d printed stuff always look stupid at the end of the day right but specifically this well Perry oh shit what <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so 3D printing stuff is uh, beautiful in its own right, uh, in a very Bauhaus way, that it shows the way it was produced. But, um, yeah, 3D printing things is much cheaper in a smaller batch. And I figured while I could go the route of trying to injection mold this for the next two, three years and spend $100,000 on tools, I could also release a product with some professional PCBs and print it uh, rock solid out of, uh, you know, some textured 3D printed materials. Can you still sell it with PCP? Because I'll buy it, buy it if you have some PCP. Uh, no, we specialize in meth here and Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it seems like we have Ethan Moses here with us um, to explain some of these questions. So, so I mean, this this thing, right? Um, I think it's super cool. It's a well. Why don't, why don't you explain what the, what the hell it is? <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take the piss. <laughs> I believe is the uh, expression. Um, yeah. So. Uh, a couple of months back, I was between projects and I talked to M and I was like, you know, what? I don't know. I don't know what to do next. I got 50 ideas and I know each one will take me months. And I just sort of read him my list from my camera journal. And he was like, yeah, that one, do that one, <laughs> which was um, an automated film carrier. So a film carrier that would detect the edges of frames, uh, use a motor to advance or retract the film and then trigger an attached camera like, you know, a pixelator or any other sort of, you know, DSLR mirrorless camera scanning setup, but where you just push a button once and it would be, you know, the idea originally <clears throat> was not to be super fast. It was actually to push a button, walk away, go have a scone and a spot of tea and uh, <laughs> come back and, in 20 minutes and, and get your film. But, um, yeah, so th this one was a purely functional type of build. Um, I think it relates way more to do with what I do at work, which is build canning machines or salsa labelers or things like that, uh, where nobody, nobody cares what a salsa labeler looks like. They care about how often it breaks down and how many cans of salsa or jars of salsa it can label in an hour. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have never released consumer electronics before, really, not digital 
consumer electronics. I had a little love affair with a analog light meter, but for the price it costs to build, go out and buy a Raveni Labs meter. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I uh, took a bunch of months and and made what I think works pretty well. It's out to a bunch of reviewers. Perry, you just got one in the mail uh, yesterday or today, and today, yeah. I am now. Let's see, two firmware versions and one hardware version beyond the one you have. I mean, mm -hmm. all little bugs you should be able to use yours, but you won't be able to turn the sound off, for instance, until I send you the packet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it it works. It's uh, heavy and not beautiful, um, but it's something that I don't need to go into a different form of production, right? I, I spent the last week uh, rebuilding. I sold some old printers. I bought some new printers. I rebuilt a couple of printers. And so I'm sort of scaling up to be able to produce, you know, a couple hundred of these in my workshop. I mean, the circuit boards all come from China, um, but they're coming out of a professional fab. So um, nothing should be loose or wiggly or anything like that. But uh Injection molding or, or something where I would create smooth plastic is wildly expensive to get the first unit, you know, in the, in the order of fifty to $100,000. Um, and then, you know, CNC milling is every unit would, would cost a ton. You know, we would be talking about a thousand bucks just for the mechanical armature. And so I figured, yeah, I, I could make it a nicer product. And, and there are some products that I may make based upon this or modules for it that might be fancier, but, but could I make it a nicer product that is still at a reasonable price range for what it does? And I figured, you know, people fetishize cameras for what they look like. Certainly, uh, Perry, you had a, a long discussion uh, where I was cracking up earlier on the podcast about, you know, fetishizing some pieces of camera hardware. But I think scanners, nobody's like, ooh, look at this Epson V700. It looks great, you know. Or, like no, Nobody, like, yeah, covets them in the same way, right? But they do want to make good scans uh, and make them quickly. And so, you know, I, I could charge another, mm, let's say, $700 and have these things milled out of aluminum. Or I could try and sell it to another, oh, 25,000 customers and then amortize the cost of injection molding. But... You know, it's a niche product. Um, I think at best I'm going to sell 200 of them, um, which is a lot of money, and I, I get it. Uh, but it 200 units, even even at the wild price of around $500 a unit, like is not going to pay for the injection mold tooling to make make a smooth thing. And so, if I were you know Nikon in 2001, I'd go out and spend a million bucks on on injection molding, but what laser cutting and uh, 3D printing allows me to do in 2020 is make small batch artisanal electronics. <laughs> I mean, Ethan, all jokes of, of on uh, the appearance aside, I, I think this thing is super awesome. Um, I mean, in, in terms of just what it does, it, it, you stick a, a roll of film in there that you've developed and it will basically have your camera take pictures uh, and digitize every single frame. And I think you have it down that it can do an entire 36 roll in what? 
around a minute? A minute and 30 uh, with edge detection. It goes a little faster with no edge detection if everything's evenly spaced, but the positional accuracy is less, and so you have to zoom out a little bit. But, um, you know, what I want to push is one minute, 30 seconds. I I mean, I I nearly bought a pack on last (laughs) year. Which, by the way, is not a beautiful thing it's like an old yellowed plastic thing <laughs> no it, it looks like a dog uh drinking fountain but i've coveted <laughs> one for 25 years yes exactly and those are super expensive and so to me this thing that you're making is it, it's going to replace a pack on not like a yeah. you know a, a pixelator or a um or even a flatbed you know i started this project about five months ago and part of when when I was talking to Emma about it was I looked up the price of a Pecan on eBay. And five months ago they were going consistently for about eleven hundred bucks on eBay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I can beat that for sure. And people have fancy digital cameras anyway if they're interested in this, right? So that's I mean, yes, it is a big cost, certainly if you spend three grand on a brand new Sony, but probably if you're interested, you have one. And then by now the cheapest Paycon on eBay right now is like $1,600, and they're going all the way up to $2,800, which is – and these are F-135s. They're not like 235s or 335s. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, it, it, I mean, it's it's super cool because I, I know you know a lot of people who digitize their, fil- their film, they'll just select frames. But I use a V700, so I scan the entire roll after I finish <laughs> trying it yeah. um, because you might as well. I mean, if you're going to put the, the, the holder on, you just Which fill is- it up. Does your whole so I I use an older Epson flatbed. Uh, I have yeah. like a Perfection forty nine eighty or something, and I have a V five hundred. They only fit like twenty four frames in those carriers, and so or if strips. I shoot a roll, of, yeah. yeah, if I shoot a roll of thirty six, I'm looking at forty five minutes for the first scan, and then twenty two to twenty three for the second scan. It's like an hour's worth of work. That's about right. That's about right. It's it's it, it's pain in the ass. Yeah, is the my least favorite part of the workflow. But yeah. I also could not be asked to, um, you know, do the full digitizing with a camera thing frame by frame. Uh, so this is just like it, it, it's it's awesome, you know. Thanks. I hope also, I love the fact that you you made it so that it can do X pan. Ah, uh, yeah, I appreciate that very much. You're welcome. I actually have a stretch goal right now, so the thing can do. Um, so you can set I, I just put up the user and set up manual videos. So there'll be a paper manual that comes actually you got in my paper manual that has some hand drawings yeah. in it that will be <laughs> nice Corel draw files eventually or illustrator. But um the video manual shows that you can change the um trigger interval and the frame delay. So the trigger interval is how long the um the mongoose will trigger your camera for, just the basically the equivalent of how long you would hold your finger on the shutter release. And then the frame delay is how long it waits after that uh, before advancing the film. So like if you're shooting at a, a ten thousandth of a second, uh, you know, you can advance almost immediately. But if you're going to shoot with like a one second exposure, you can have the, the mongoose wait and not scroll the film while you're taking a picture. And so that allows people actually have asked about this, if I could build it in as a feature. And I said, by changing those two settings, you could actually trigger a camera three times in bracketing order for an HDR exposure. Um, One thing, and in fast mode, you could actually do this already, but I I think um, as a stretch goal, if it hits a hundred grand, I'm going to write the software so that if you are doing a panorama, you can actually have it edge detect and then scroll 
wants to align for the first image, take a picture, then scroll some set amount for the second image, and so that you can do either two or three frame stitched panoramas to really you know get the most out of an X pan image. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see if I get that far. So the uh, the other thing is in your Kickstarter video, you've got it mounted. Um, so you've got the part that holds the film sitting on a light bed and then a coffee stand with a camera above it. Um, but I've seen, uh, you've shown me some videos where you've got it set up a different way. And as someone who does not own a coffee stand or a light box, um, I'm wondering, would it work? Because uh, otherwise I'll just go out and get those things to test this thing out. But would it work to set the yes. film holder like 90 degrees so yes. that the film is vertical? And for example, like tape my phone to the back of it as a light source yeah. and then put the camera on a tripod. Okay, so you don't want to tape your phone to the back of it because it's so close that you might get some, like the phone might be a little uneven. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you back the phone up from it a little bit, sure. Or if you had uh, a diffuser or something like the Pixelator in yeah. front of your phone, you could tape that to the back. Uh, um, yeah, you could yeah. absolutely use a tripod. What I would say is like, I, I didn't show this in the video, but I, I really should edit it in, is if you have a little bubble level or I have some very fancy levels for, um, you know, aligning 3D printers and CNC machines and lasers, um, getting the film plane of the digital camera perfectly parallel in all axes to the uh, film plane of the film gate is, I, w I don't want to say crucial, but it, the better you get it, the you know, less skewed of a picture and yeah. uh, less out of focus you're going to get. Um, so, yes, you can do it with a tripod with the thing just on a desk uh, with a horizontal uh, or vertical light box, however you would, you would think yeah. about it. Um, cool. I have thought about making different adapter mounts, and I'll probably sell them and then also just offer up the STL files for people to print themselves because really, like... I want, I want to make the adapters for it to mount in different positions and um, add some trays for, you know, holding the film at either ends. I'm using plastic plates right now, like like uh, picnic plates, uh, to keep the film clean. But, you know, those things are expensive for me to 3D print uh, per unit in comparison to, you know, something like an injection molded part. But again, I'm not going to make a million of them, and there's a lot of different ways you might set them up. And so... While I might sell them, I'm never, even if I sell them expensively, I'm never going to make very much money on those adapters and trays and things like that. And so I'll just put the files online. So if you have a 3D printer, you don't need to pay me 50 bucks to make one. You can probably print one for seven bucks worth of plastic and, you know, kiss your weekend goodbye. Uh, or, you know, if your printer is aligned, you, you can uh, just walk away from it. But I cannot. I have too many printers. Anyway, um, different adapters for mounting it to other light boxes. I've talked about this before. I think Hamish might come out with a light source for the Pixelator, which is something that I don't want to touch business-wise. But uh, if he releases one of those, I will immediately release like an adapter that clamps that thing to the back of the mount right. um, and maybe some other stuff like that. But uh, long story short, alignment is important. Uh, tripod and a light source is good. One other really cool thing... Um, I have 20,000 watt seconds worth of speedotrons in my studio, which are all daylight balance and continuous spectrum uh, for photography, um, which I understand that most people don't have. But um, 
and I didn't show it like this in the Kickstarter, but it's possible. And I, I know it's going to be a much rarer setup. But you can use a flash either through a diffuser or just bounced against a white background to illuminate your frame. Oh. And generally, flashes will have uh, continuous spectrum and perfectly daylight-balanced light. So if you're digitizing something like black and white film, it doesn't really matter. But when you're doing color negatives and positives, having you know strobe illumination is really good. And so if you're using like a Nikon speed light, you can turn the frame delay up so that it waits for the thing to recycle. But if you're using a speedotron, like I can set my camera shutter to something like uh 250th on the sony or whatever the max sync speed is and and that pack will recycle almost immediately so i have a johnny i actually have a question that may be more for you on a lens related front because i know you use like a a camera to digitize your film um so i tried using this mongoose today because i'm still reading the manuals and stuff but i tried using it basically just as a film holder um for digitizing and it worked really well, but you got like, uh Well, no, I'm actually more wondering what kind of lens should I be using for this? And and Johnny, do you have any tips in terms of how you straighten them out? Because I used, I just stuck a random, I think I stuck a Rodenstock Heligon 50 mm-hmm. millimeter on my camera, and I, you know, li- lining it up and getting it straight was challenging. But even after that, I think when I put that lens in macro distance with a tube on my Sony, I think I was basically getting the field curvature, like in extreme yeah. uh, even at f8 so um yeah i was wondering if you had any insights on like what lens to use for this kind of thing i mean but me personally i use a flat field macro lens which is essentially an enlarger lens right um and it has absolutely no field curvature and it's sharp from you know corner to corner and um it's really simple i just use a uh, old, it's a on an old school macro bellows, um, and that's it. I mean, it's a really simple setup. I think the bellows and the lens together cost me about thirty bucks. Okay. Um, so yeah. Yeah, for years I used a Nikon macro bellows with a yeah. light yeah. backing adapter. Right. There you go. Or worked perfectly. Yep. Okay, so I, I have. I'm staring at right now. Um, two kind of cheapo lenses that I've got. One is an Agfa 90 millimeter enlarging lens. Yes. Um, yes. Use yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That'll work great. Okay. Okay. Cool. Perfect. So there's, there's two issues that I want to point out. One, you have one hardware version, uh, lower than the one that's on my desk right now. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have a cutout in the back. So if you're using a wide angle lens, you'll get some vignetting. Um, the one that I have and the one that's going out to later beta testers. I mean, you're, you're three weeks behind because of the mail, but, um, it has a, it has sort of a flared, um, back on the other side of the film. So that even if you're using a wide lens, you won't see the, uh, the, the walls of the bottom of the negative carrier won't get in the way, but yours will apologies. I will send you another one eventually, but I'm still making some minor tweaks, but so a wide angle lens is not great. The other thing is like just naturally the longer the lens, right? The, the more rectilinear and in proportion your frame is going to be. So I, I love the Nikon, uh, micro Nikkor, but also I have a really cheapo Tamron 90 millimeter two five, uh, macro lens that, works amazingly that's all i use it for 
Sweet. So I, I've never used this lens before, um, but I bought it for ten bucks because oh, yeah. it was there and looked cool. So I, I think I think this will get a little get a little run out. It's the Agfa Colo Colo Star <laughs> ninety millimeter f four point five. Yeah, I mean that lens was designed for exactly this, but in reverse. Right. Sweet. Awesome. I was just going to say that just we I, I shared shared a link to uh, your Kickstarter in our our podcast uh, Facebook group and it uh, um, and it got quite quite a few comments. Um, but one, but there was there was one one comment and I just wonder if we can just just talk about this. It, it's it's about how um, how I should jump off a bridge. Uh, no, <laughs> no, uh, no, there weren't too many negative comments in our in our group, so uh, which which is good. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, yeah, a good bunch of folks. Ab- absolutely, but uh, I think I think the. Um, there's a there's certainly a limitation if you've already cut your negatives up and they're in sleeves, yes. then that that's that's where that's a bit of a downer, isn't it? Because uh, yeah, then this is not the product for you. I, I want to be really clear. Like uh, this thing to do a perfect job for a whole roll, you need a whole roll with uh, with a leader on it. You can do up to four, you know, down to four uh, four image strips, but like you're. At, at least the first two, if not the first three frames, you're going to be manually aligning by hand. Like it doesn't save you any time. In that case, you might as well use a pixelator. If this is not the thing to buy, if you have like an archive of old, you know, cut and sleeved negatives that you want to go through quickly. Uh, I have some ideas for a belt-driven system, but you know, now we're in the sort of I, I haven't built one yet or prototyped it but i'm thinking that's like a 1200 dollars type of system that you know it, it's it's a different different beast this is not meant to do that and and i want to be very clear i don't want to sell a lot of people a negative carrier thinking that this is going to stack feed and automate you know uh four frame strips it's it's just it's not for that it's it's for people who are developing like a lot of film and scanning right right after that you know mm-hmm. well that's it we see it's ultimately it becomes part of the future process doesn't it because i mean people might you know might cut their negatives up at the moment after after digitizing or or beforehand whereas if you if you had one of these machines then and you're shooting enough film then you're you you would just process it and then put it straight in then you would cut it up into your sleeves yeah or store it cur- like yeah. uh, in in a can but i mean that's my process is i I have not gone to storing it in a Canon. I mean, you can use this to digitize single frames. It's just not fast to do it, right? It, and it, like, for the price, it's not worth. I, it's worth every penny, but you know, uh, <laughs> for the price, if that's how you're going to use it, that's it's not what it's meant to do. And so, my process right now is exactly what you said: is run a roll through, digitize them, and then cut and sleeve them. And if I ever need like one frame, I have. I can go back to it and it doesn't take me that long to do a frame, but I'm not going to go back and scan an entire roll. Like I have uh, those big, you know, two by two by three foot Rubbermaid tubs filled with binders with negatives from the last, I don't know, uh, 20 something years. And uh, this is not the device to digitize all of those (laughs) unless I had not cut them all, you know, and left them in, in little containers. You know, I, I think um, this this mongoose is actually perfect for someone like me or someone like Mike Novak, where we shoot a lot 
and then we develop and scan the whole roll pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when the weather is good, I will easily go through two to five rolls a week. Um, and with this, it's going to save me so much time with 35 mil. Uh, and then for medium format, like the, the Epson does fine. It does a perfectly good job. There's not enough frames for it to be that slow. Um, so I'm really looking forward to testing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to you testing it. You know, a lot of people have actually asked me about both movie film and uh, 120. And right. my answer for the 120 is like, I didn't think it was necessary to do 120 off the bat because it's, you know, just standardly 12 frames or, you know, depending upon your frame size, even less or maybe mm-hmm. a little more. But it's it's not that slow to do it. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, you know, uh, so many people have asked for it and maybe some people are doing five or ten rolls and maybe they're doing six, four, five. And so it's exactly the same electronics and program. It wouldn't work in fast mode because the frames are never equally spaced on medium format. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think if this one does well, if it gets to like a hundred grand or so, I think that'll be the next, uh, you know, next thing I put out. Wait, what's the, what's the deal with movie film? Uh, it cannot do movie film. I mean, okay, so actually, I got a really good comment from one of my backers, which is, you should make clear that it can do film that's been processed like ECN2, right? That's not the issue. It's it's just long 100-foot rolls. You need some... Oh, uh, okay. Right. Yeah, okay, that means... Yeah. Yeah, it can do movie film stock. It just can't do... You know, like if you had a 250 <laughs> exposure motor drive on a Nikon F or a Canon F1, uh, sure, you could probably do that, but like this is not I, this is not for like spooling uh right. big movies but i've been thinking right. about that project too so you couldn't you can do like a feature length film shot on film with it correct correct that you need, you need some other hardware that, and like a 2 by 2 by 1 foot box to hold it all hey perry you talked about the mongoose but you haven't yet reviewed the most important thing that i sent you uh as a professional camera grip reviewer <laughs> Uh, yeah, so th- there's this other thing um, that was in the packet. Other thing. It's which, the primary thing. <laughs> which I I knew immediately what it was when I took it out. Um, but I have not I have not put it on my camera yet. I can't uh, believe you've waited this long. So uh, the listeners at home can't see it, but I'm holding up to the my webcam. Um, it's a giant what, fish look, scale. Right. It looks like some kind of rainbow fish, right? Uh, it, it's a 3D printed grip for the X-Pan, uh, which is bright purple. And then when I hold it, it turns pink. So it changes color with body heat. Um, and I learned a couple things. I learned that the X-Pan grip is attached with three simple screws and it just comes right off. But no, I have I have not taken a screwdriver to my X-Pan and replaced it with this yet. But I can tell you that it looks like it fits perfectly. Uh, and I will... When I can, when I can muster up the courage to do it, I will, I will put this on and see what it feels like, uh, and and see. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to go onto the street with this, man. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> so good. <laughs> some people, some people are cool with with purple and pink cameras, and and God bless them. But um, <laughs> uh, um, oh, you know what? I'll let my girlfriend use my ex. Oh, that's sexist, right? Just because it's pink. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in some cultures, purple and pink color change is the manliest of colors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it feels good in the hand. Uh, I, I will let you know. I, I will. So I you're, 
I've, I've actually had that in my desk for quite some time for you, but haven't had, <laughs> had a reason to mail you something, believe it or not. Um, I, I have never tested this on the next band. So I bought and sold all my X bands well before, um, I started doing Camerodactyl and Matthew Joseph actually replaced his grip for like a nice wooden grip. They yeah. sell beautiful ones. Although, I mean, they don't really compare to hot pink. Um, <laughs> but he sent me his old X pan grip with a zine like a year ago. I still need to mail it back to him with a yellow grip, uh, or one of his choosing maybe glow in the dark. But, um, yeah, I've, I've never checked it against the camera, so I would like to know if it fits before I sell them, which yeah, I've um, had the model for over a year now, but have not encountered an X-Pan in the wilds of Albuquerque. So, so, <laughs> so what, what's going on here then? Because the, the, the X-Pan has a grip, and this yes. replaces the existing grip. Yes. Yeah. And why? so the question in your mind it is why? It improves the existing grip. That's <laughs> <laughs> in analog film photography. I, I, I think there's a parallel with what we were talking about last episode with Dan, where this is a case of pimping out your camera uh, as opposed to adding something functional. It, it makes it more pro. <laughs> Way more pro. Way more pro. It's the old uh, camera salesman uh, advice. It's more pro. You know, I <laughs> maybe I told you guys this story once. Is um, back in the day, there were more photo uh, photo stores, camera stores in New York City than there are in the country right now. And um, I was a junior in high school, and we took a color slide photography class. And my buddy Chuck needed to buy a camera, and so. I found him a Nikon FM10 with a lens for like a hundred bucks at Smile Photo, which doesn't exist, so I don't mind bashing them anymore. Um, and we went to get like the student special, and the guy was like, do you, "Oh, do you want the pro version? It's twenty bucks <laughs> more." And and I was like, "What?" I mean, I I knew all right. I had a subscription to Popular Photography at the time. I knew that there was only one version, and it was all gray market. They never marketed them in the U.S. Uh, and I knew there was no pro version. I said, "What is uh, what? What's the difference with the pro version?" And the guy said, "Oh, it's more pro." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But no, we'll take the regular one. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's more pro yeah <laughs> that ephemeral feature oh that's awesome oh my god that's so, so new, that's so new york <laughs> it was <laughs> uh so so yeah I'll, I'll report back on that um on the pro grip for the x-pan awesome. uh, but, but the final thing um that i i got here oh well, there's something else but i'm not going to talk about it yet i'm not ready yet um <laughs> But there's um, before we recorded our episode with Dan, I actually uh, snagged something that I have been wanting for so long. Uh, it was on my Christmas wish list, and um, I've just been looking for it since November. And uh, one of them popped up at a ridiculous price um, for what they are now, and for what they're going for now. And so I got I got right here a Voigtlander Bessa R four M R four. And this, I shot it this weekend, and I got to say, this is one of the most enjoyable cameras I have ever used. It is, uh, I mean, this is a Bessa. This is a Bessa. There's nothing, you know, different, but Bessas are sweet. But it has 21, 28, 
25, sorry, it's got 21, 25, 28, 35, and 50 millimeter frame lines. And it's got a, and it's got a, uh, accessory shoe on the top for a proper viewfinder also. It it does have an accessory shoe on top. Yes. uh, If you want to put other things on top. Um, so yes, Johnny made me put a external viewfinder on it, which I took off immediately afterwards. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's all. This is, this is sweet. So I shot this, I shot a roll, um, with my 21, uh, color scope R over the weekend. And, um, I mean, first of all, I swear this LTM version of the color scope R is sharper than my M mount version. Cause I got both. Um, but that aside, just, I mean, it's amazing. You know, when you look through a viewfinder, a, a rangefinder, it's a native 21 millimeter frame with coupling and no, you know, no need for an external finder. It's just, it's, it's like this camera was made for me. I love it. It it is in some ways the pro version of the Nikon FM10. <laughs> right, it's, well, it's the same thing, right? But with a metal case and uh, a beautiful rangefinder. Yeah, the, the FM10 has all the frame lines, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you put on it, uh, but but I mean, you know, it, it's um, it, it's you know, it's not until you look through this viewfinder that it's like, oh man having just that native frame line and the the one thing is you know simon you often complain about bessas uh and the, their feel and their base length but like the short base length on a bessa on these bessas doesn't matter when you're shooting wide angles as well so yeah Did, have i complained about short base lengths uh yeah oh okay. uh, at least once <laughs> oh, at right. least once right. i you usually complain about the feel of the bessa and how their dials feel like cosina because you hate cosina I d- no, 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 no. Cosina are absolutely fine, um, but they because they make great lenses um, for Zeiss and people like that. Um, but the the cameras are well. It's an FM10. Doesn't matter what you do to it. It's an FM10. It's mutton dressed as lamb. Well, the FM10 is a is a Cosina would be the right way to say that because there's a but there's 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 about 50 cameras based on that same on that same architecture and and the bessas are the most pro of all of those definitely the most pro right but like in in a serious way i mean they're really much better built than you know the vivitar 2000 or whatever it is oh my god you know uh, it's, I mean, it's got a metal body. I don't know if the original R did, but the R2 no. through the R4 have metal everywhere. And like, you know, it is probably the second best, uh, viewfinder range finder out there. I, I would venture to say easily. I think easily. Yeah. Um, the R and the L kind of feel plasticky, but from the R2 onwards, yeah, they have a much more robust feel about them. Cool. Yeah, okay. So is 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 that your week? That's it. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I think that should be enough of better talk, and let's 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 head over to Albuquerque um, and see if uh, Ethan's been up to anything interesting. Yeah, um, I have been researching the prices of Bessas on eBay. It's <laughs> um, our text chain this morning. You know, I have wanted one of these forever. So I, my uh, college roommate, Han, is like a real playboy. And like, okay, so I uh, taught him to drive and lent him my old beat-up Toyota Avalon to go take the driver's test one day. And then the next week he had an 
almost new Audi A4. Uh, <laughs> and I also taught him to uh, take pictures on, on film. He was not a photographer when we met. Um, and I lent him my, I had like a Minolta SRT that had a wobbly film advance. And, you know, I bought it for 20, 30 bucks on eBay in 2004 or whenever. Um, and he was like, oh, this is, this is great. And came back with a Bessa R3A at the time, like the next week. Oh. Uh, and some like a glass. And I have coveted that thing since college. It's, uh, it's is really really nice. I w- would have bought one, except they're more expensive now than I bought my Leica M4 for. Oh yeah, yeah. I should have bought them when they were like four hundred bucks. Yeah, you could get back when you could get them new. They were they were much cheaper than they are now used. For sure, I, they're. I think they're beautiful cameras. I like the A's because they have uh, aperture priority, and I also really like the R2, which has thirty five millimeter frame lines. Which, you know, I'd probably just use that lens with a uh, like a thirty five f two all day, all night. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I prefer the M because it doesn't have aperture priority. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's cool that they've got you know it's cool that the options are out there because the R3 that you mentioned is pretty much the opposite of the R4, right? If you like to shoot longer lenses, it, that right. one starts, starts at 40 and goes up where yeah, this, one, end, this one ends at 50. So it's, it's, you know, pick your poison. It's awesome. And the R3 is one-to-one, the viewfinder is one-to-one, which is sweet. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, Han always had a slightly longer set of lenses than I did, but, um, damn, that was a nice camera. It was olive green. I still remember it, you know, 20 something years later. Right then, well, let's head over to Chicago, and what have you been up to, Johnny? Well, uh, to continue the Bessa Week oh, no. uh, theme, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did get a Bessa this week also, um, but you'll you'll feel better about this about this story, Simon, because um, I got a a, uh, a Bessa T. Um, because uh, you know, I've, I've realized that I, I, I that that rain that viewfinders on rangefinders are basically wasted on me because I'm going to use an external finder anyway. So the perfect solution is, of course, the best of T because it has no viewfinder; it only has a rangefinder. Yeah. So I I finally got one of those. We we had one at Central Camera on the shelf for the longest time that. I really should have traded stuff for, but I didn't. <laughs> so I've, and I've regretted it ever since. Um, so, um, seeing as how my last eBay purchase didn't work out and I had a refund coming for that, uh, I got a, uh, Bessa T, um, which in theory is beautiful, except the one that I got from Japan was, of course, fucked up because everything I've ever bought from Japan is fucked up. Um, so the um, the rangefinder uh, was not working correctly. What do you mean? It's, it was uh, top mint with just a little speck. Yeah, it was it was top mint, hundred percent working. Exa- <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. The same old story. F- Pearl harbored again, again, <laughs> by something from Japan. So this is only about the the half dozenth time this has happened to me. Um. And I, I've I've still not learned my lesson, so uh, off it goes back to Japan. But yeah, the the rangefinder adjustment was not 
was not holding. So I got it. The rangefinder wasn't lined up. Me and Perry talked about, you know, adjusting the, which, you know, I, I don't ever put screwdriver to camera. It's just something I don't do. But seeing as how it is impossibly easy to adjust the rangefinder on this camera, I went and did that and got it perfect and then changed the lens and put on another lens to check it with another lens and it was completely off again. So then I fixed it again and changed the lens and put on another lens and it was completely off again. So, so apparently whatever, um, mechanically is supposed to hold the range finder (laughs) accurately is just not working. Yeah, so, that's uh, not your that's not your fault. The yeah. um the, the camera is extremely easy to adjust the horizontal alignment. Totally the, easy. Well, even yeah. the vertical, because that's behind the the bevel at the front. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, on, on a BESA, you've got those two alignments, and then there's also a locking mechanism. Yeah. Um, which normally on like a BESA with an integrated finder, uh, so not the T, um, those two screws are next to each other. But right, I assume what right. happened with yours is the locking mechanism is screwed up. Uh and so yeah. Basically, you know, you adjust it and then it goes out of whack again as soon as you press the arm. It, um, exactly. And that's, the, that's something internal which you don't want to mess with. Right, yeah. So something is, you know, most definitely wrong with it. So um, unfortunately, that will be going back and I can continue to look for continue to look for one. Because it is, I mean, it's like, it's literally like the ideal mm-hmm. range finder for me. So I had it all set up with my, my 40 millimeter um, uh, Minolta. Right, and I had the forty millimeter uh, Voigtlander viewfinder on there. I mean, it was like a beautiful setup, um, but no, it was not to be. So it will, yeah. it will, it will go back. But I, I, I will, I will continue to look for one. And I, this time, I will buy a beaten up one, preferably from the U.S. <laughs> so they're very, they're very common here in Hong Kong. Um, but that camera, yeah, it's, it, that's a shame because that camera is amazing. Um, I just love the fact that they made one uh, like that. Yeah. To kind of, I yeah. mean, it is, it's the cheapest M-mount camera. Um, and it also is just a continuation of that Barnack ethos, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's, 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 like, the ultimate, it's like the ultimate distilled impro- improvements of all the different Barnack versions that were it, – it's kind of all of that distilled into one camera. Um, so, so Perry, we might have, maybe we'll just do a thing again, you know, cause I know how much you like buying cameras for me and sending them from Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to just do something like that. Yeah, again. Totally. totally. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's my best a week. So, so seeing as how that isn't working, I, I, I found, I was in uh, Walgreens the other day and, um, found some Batman stickers, which I had to like, last time I bought Batman stickers to put on my Bessa, my blue Bessa, I had to order them from Amazon, which is just asinine. You know, I had to order a a $2 packet of stickers from freaking Amazon. That is just so, it's so stupid. Um, So I, I I mean, they should have had them at, you know, at Walgreens. And anyway, I was in Walgreens and they actually had a little packet of Batman stickers. <laughs> so I have a fresh packet of Batman stickers and I have three fresh Batman stickers on my blue Bessa now. So, um, you, you know, on just, just while we're on the subject of Bessas and the Bessa T, you know, Simon is, is 
eerily silent here, both as <laughs> not a fan of rangefinders or external viewfinders. But Simon, privately, you seem to have um, <laughs> have been extolling the virtues of external finders to us. So what's up with uh, saying one thing publicly? You know, <laughs> it, it, I, I've heard our Bob Woodward tapes. You know, you know what's up with viewfinders. <laughs> I've, I've, I, it's I've I have no intention of using external viewfinders. Um, but I really like them. I like them as objects. I like to look through things. And I've, I've, I realized that it, in a, a job lot of stuff that I bought a good while ago, uh, it came to me. I was thinking there's a there's a weird viewfinder that's one of those, um, you, you, you turn it and it changes the, um, the, the, the angle of view. Um, so I thought I better dig this out because there's so much rangefinder, not rangefinder talk, but uh, well, there is, uh, but uh, viewfinder talk. And I thought I'll dig this out, and um, and I did, it, it, and it's cool. And um, I also realised it was worth a few quid as well, which is always always a good thing for something I I have no intention of using. Um, but this this one that the the start of the start of the uh, my odyssey on uh, viewfinders is by. Is it Tewe or it's T E W E? Not entirely sure how you're meant to pronounce that, um, but it's it's just a really cool thing. Um, and I, I posted a, fit, a picture of it up with my um, I say my contacts too, uh, my soon to be departed contacts too. So I've had it up on eBay for quite some time, and somebody's bought it, which I'm actually not entirely happy about, with um, because I, I, I was I was quite. Uh, Quite taken with it. I've had it on eBay for absolutely ages, and uh, I know Eric uh, Eric Sluice has been coveting it as as well. Um, but no, it's uh, it's it's left now. But I took some pictures of that contacts with the uh, with that finder on it, and it just looks cool. And then last night, um, I sent I sent uh, you guys a, a link to a a misspelt uh, listing, and it had this is on eBay, and it had uh, within the listing it had this this uh, finder. Um, a turnit finder, Voigtlander turnit finder, and I was just fascinated by it. Again, it's one of these things that changes the focal length. By the way, the the, the Tiwi one, I'm not impressed, but it, it looks massive and it looks like it's got a proper lens on the front, which it has to a degree. Um, but you you still have to peer through this tiny little hole, um, which is 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 not such a good thing. So uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just interested in a lot of things as objects. And um, viewfinders, I seem to, I seem to be getting just into viewfinders at the moment. I have no idea why. I think you've been brainwashed by Chicago. <laughs> this yeah. will fix it. Which is funny because those are the viewfinders I I would never use. I never use multifinders <laughs> no. unless it's the unless it's the um, the Russian one, the turret finder. Yeah, that's a that is a fantastic finder. That's good. It's way better than the than the German versions. It's it's a really nice finder. So if you can find one relatively cheap, and that that those turnit finders are not hard to find at all. I mean they're they're all over the place. Yeah. I've got I used one for a long time on a uh, Kiev four, I believe, or a three. Yeah. Uh, which eventually, you know, all of my range finder alignment goes out of whack when I drop them. Um, <laughs> and back in the day, I. I did not know how to fix cameras so well. And so I just sold all of that stuff on eBay. And uh, I, I miss that finder is the only piece of that kit that I miss. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I've got, I've got one of those finders, one of the, uh, the turret finders. In fact, I, 
I showed you a photograph I took of it relatively recently with it. Well, no, it's two years ago. Um, attached to, with a Jupiter. <laughs> on your Sony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it worked well on the Sony. Yeah. It, was, it was cool. There, there is a case for external finders on digital cameras, though. I maintain that if you have the Ricoh GR uh, APS-C point-and-shoot, the best yeah. way to shoot that is stick a 28 millimeter external finder on it. It is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just, man. just ignore the viewfinder. I bought that finder for the GR to stick on a bunch of cameras that I was making, and they're so small. Oh, the native one. Uh huh. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. No, I, I use a, I use like one of the Voigtlander ones for, for I see. Actual, actual cameras. That's a great Be idea. Yeah. <laughs> Because the, the Rico one that they made is for the GRD, which I think has a different aspect ratio. Um, and it's also stupidly expensive for like the th what it is. Yeah. I'm just I'm just I've just got I've got a turret finder and I'm just looking through it at the moment and it is pretty good actually. I've forgotten what it was like. Um, they're not bad, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are they're really nice. And you so do you have the Soviet one where it grays out the area outside of the finder outside of the you know, let's say you've got it set at 50 millimeters, it'll still have a kind of grayed out area around. Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it's almost like having, it's almost like having frame lines. You know what I mean? Like you can see around the frame edge, which is what I really like about it. Um, and which is what I don't like about most multi finders is they, 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 you know, they crop the image to the angle of view that you're using for the lens, but that one does not, which is really nice. The only the only thing with it, and I, I've only just seen seen it now, and and this was this was brought up in the post when I put that TEWE finder up, um, was, and I can't remember who it was that asked the question. It was asked to Johnny, I think, um, about the the fact that they're very easy to get the 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 image uh, out of whack, so it would be slanted uh, to one side, and. And the, I didn't actually realize, but my finder is exactly the same, and uh, it, it's out of whack. But I've now noticed that this um, this turret finder, the, uh, the Russian turret finder, that's also gone out of whack as well. So I don't know if the, that's just a thing with these multiple view things, that they're just more prone to go uh, out of alignment. I don't know. Uh, not necessarily. I mean... You know, all I, 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 that's, I mean, that's one of the things I like about dedicated focal length finders is they, they tend not to, they have far fewer moving parts. Well, not even moving parts, just parts. You know what I they mean? Can, they can go out of whack still though. I they can't, no, they can. Yeah. They, 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 they can. But I, I mean, like I have a, I have a, I, I have two Nikon, um, very, what do they call them? Very, very finders or whatever. And they they both went crooked. <laughs> it's just kind of inherent in the design. So, um, so yeah. I mean, all viewfinders can grow crooked, but yeah. I'm, I'm just going to try and fix this one. Oh, that that's what that sound was. Yeah. I thought <laughs> no, I that thought did, it was that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had once a digital camera. I forget if it was an old Canon XT or if it was like a early sort of Lumix LX100 or something like that. Uh, this was 15 years ago, maybe. And the CCD sensor or the CMOS was, I think it was CCD back then, uh, was mounted in a way like, like it gets glued onto a board. 
uh, and it was crooked. And so if you set yeah. the camera down on a table and you <laughs> took a picture, it wasn't level. And so leveling the camera on a tripod did not work. You needed to level to how that sensor was <laughs> mounted on the board. And I'm sure every single camera was a little off because I bet it was like a human with, uh, you know, a guide, a mechanical guide gluing those sensors to the boards at the time. Yeah, there, um, there was a, a Nikon that we had at Central Camera, which was like the eBay camera. Like it was, you know, it was red. It was uh-huh. one of those it was one of those red D, D5000s or whatever it is. Sure. Um, and yeah, it had a crooked sensor too. <laughs> yeah. It was the same, the same way. It's like you had to put it on the tripod and kind of correct a little bit for the skew yeah <laughs> which you couldn't see in the viewfinder you could only see it in the photos yeah. it was it was great <laughs> <laughs> well some, something else that you've been up to uh johnny and and I, i'm actually on our our merchandise site at this moment oh speaking of leica finders yeah yeah you mean, exactly you mean that exactly and uh this i must just uh, well there appears to be something missing off this side from what i was seeing earlier uh, no you just have to you just have to uh click on the button that says oh hold on i closed the i gotta i gotta i have to reopen it um i have to reopen so if you go to classic lenses podcast.com which you know as everyone knows is our homepage. oh it's and you, oh my word yeah and you click on the tab at the top that says merchandise it will then uh, it will then open that up to that link, and then you click the link that says merchandise, and it takes you directly to our our merchandise shop where you can buy, you know, t-shirts and et cetera, et cetera. And there are now vinyl stickers up there, and there are um, there's hoodies up there, and also there's um, well, I get I there 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 are underpants on there. Um, and these are special underpants that have the Leica winder, uh, shall we say strategically located on the front panel. Um, and the rest of the, the rest of the underpants have the logo on it. And actually what you can't see in the, uh, little, the little thumbnails here is that in the crotch area, it actually says be like Carl. So I thought Carl, in memory of Carl, you can have Carl right under your ball sack, which I thought was perfect. And I think he would, he would, if this was, he would love that. So, except he would be, he would be saying, oh, how come there's no Simon version? I would want a Simon version. <laughs> so, and I would have to say, no, it was Simon's idea to make the Leica, you know, winder underpants in the first place. So, so there. So anyway, you you can order you can order these you can order your very own pair of Leica Winder boxer briefs in chrome or black, chrome or black version Winder. Yeah, and it's it's very clear that you have spent a long time looking at these underpants. <laughs> I worked to try to get the placement of that Winder lever just right. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm hoping it was worth the effort and I'm hoping that we'll get so the dude who bought the Bokake cap I don't think I still don't think we've gotten a photo from the field of that cap in action on the Isle of Wight but I think someone should buy these underpants and the the cap 
and just and, wear and like go to the and go to the beach and just wear those two things. Like you could I, you could you could make a case for these as they kind of look like swim trunks. So I am no underwear model by any stretch of the imagination, but I have wanted to buy that Bokaki hat, but also <laughs> I can't wear like uh, I was in Spain uh last year and I <laughs> I happened to be at a McDonald's charging my phone and I saw that they were selling McDonald's hats, like the employees' hats, <laughs> oh for four euros. And so I bought one, and I was like wearing it around Spain. Actually, I went to go visit Nico in uh, Basque Country up in Bilbao, and Nico was like, "Oh, dude, you probably shouldn't wear a red hat around here." And I had, <laughs> I had no, uh, it, it's like it didn't occur to me. Like I, I had no idea what the cultural significance of a red hat in uh, Basque Country was, but. I took it off immediately. <laughs> I feel the same <laughs> way about the make Bokake great again hat. Yeah. Well, so, so there's, yeah, there's the make Bokake great again cap, which is red, which, you That's know. That's the best one. Yeah, there's, so there's that one. But there's the, there's the camo, there's the camo one that just says, it's, it's camo green, and it just says uh, Bokake in hot red, hot pink. Yeah, it's tactical. Tactical, yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's, so there's, either one of those choices would work great with the like a winder <laughs> underpants. I'm, I'm just wondering if it's just, no, we, we shouldn't actually ask people to buy and model this, should we? And put it. No, we no 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 we no we should we should okay. and and I I would I would I think if somebody wanted to do that and you know and and send in a photo we would that would be great and we would probably put it on the cover for the podcast or something. <laughs> that would be a that would be a great thing to do. So and I'm definitely suggesting someone should do that. Well, there goes my reputation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, we've we've got a few emails um, that we we really do need to uh, to go through. But we we haven't really had chance. So uh, um, shall we do those, uh, Johnny? Uh, yeah, we we could do those. Yeah, um, and, uh, Ethan, if you can help us out with those as well, that'd be great. I can't read. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's, um, uh, we can we can listen to you. Can, Ethan, you can just you just comment. You don't have to read. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm not sure if I have these in the reverse order or the correct order, but um, I'm going to start with Gilbert Townsend. Townsend. Gilbert Townsend. There's an H in there, um, and he wrote us. Uh, subject was Simon and rangefinders, comma solved exclamation point, and he says clearly this will solve Simon's mistrust of rangefinders if he can get one to try. And there's a link, and the link goes out to a article about the uh, Visaflex system for for the Leica. And he says I had no idea such a thing existed. The whole thing seems as mad as clockwork orange and even more so that it was Leica who made them cheers gilbert so yes um yes there's a visaflex link there and i can put that in the show notes but but i mean the long story short you know the visaflex turns turns a like a rangefinder into a reflex camera it turns the best rangefinder into the worst <laughs> reflex camera. Right, right, exactly, exactly. But and or, or, yeah, exactly. Or, or the Visaflex also the other the other term for the Visaflex is take that money and just buy 
a Spotmatic. That would be the solution in, let's say, you know, 1964. If you thought you needed a Visiflex, you could you could just go buy a complete Spotmatic with lens for the same same amount of money, and it's going to do a better job. So, but I mean, I think this one is. Uh, I, I check the link again, but I think this is probably an older one. You know, which is pre. I can I can understand the utility of a Visiflex kind of pre SLR, you know? Um, Cause I think they, these originally came out. No, maybe uh, this no, is the I, I think the, the real purpose of these is not to just turn it into an SLR for normal shooting. No, but it's for not like right. up or scientific work or, right. you know, it, exactly. things that you can't do with a coupled rangefinder, but you don't want to get a whole new camera for it. So it's right. a, it's a nonsense accessory. If you think about, using it as a instead of a leica as a normal camera because why would you do that yeah it wouldn't make no it would make no sense it is definitely a more of like a scientific sort of uh industrial use kind of thing but that said again i would say just go buy a spotmatic <laughs> yep yeah. would, I, would i be right in thinking that only certain lenses are compatible with a system uh yeah if you want the full focus range yeah I mean, theoretically, you could put uh, with the right adapter, you could put anything on it, but you would not get infinity or anything close. Yeah. Um, so that's why, like, you know, for example, you have some lenses like the 65 millimeter that are designed only to work with the Visoflex and they won't work on the normal M mount. Right. But then you have others like the 90 millimeters, um, the, the Summicron, some of the Elmars, where you just take off the optical block um, and stick it on a Visoflex uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with a tube that comes with it and you can use it on both. Right. There, there is yeah. a there is another um, rangefinder, or uh, well, sort of rangefindery kind of camera that would suit me, and I've got one, and I'm thinking about putting it in the box and sending it off to Lyndon uh, to give it a service, whether he wants to do it or not. Um, and that is a Caulfield Periflex. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which uh which is really cool. It is 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 cool in a really Heath Robinson kind of way. And I think there's an American expression for Heath Robinson which I can't remember. Um I have no idea what Heath Robinson refers to. Yeah, what is a Heath Robinson? Uh Perry, do you know are you do you understand the American version of Heath Robinson? I got no clue what you're talking about. Okay. Um <laughs> Uh, there is there is a um, an equivalent in America. Heath uh, Heath Robinson design is something that is potentially overly complicated. Uh, oh, to, so to Rube Goldberg? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we say Heath Robinson <laughs> over here. Uh, I don't know which one came first. Um, but uh, Heath Robinson sounds like it could actually just be a normal dude. Yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, Rube Goldberg is. I don't know. There's probably there's probably loads of people named Heath Robinson in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there? Yeah, every, everybody, you know. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so uh, the, the, the Periflex has, has got this um, periscope that will drop down and go in, into, the, into the, its corrective for, to work with the viewing plane. Um, and I think it's, um, it's not fully correct. It's not... Or oh, is it when you when you got the um, the viewers flipped? I can't remember if it's like a TLR or whether it works more like an SLR. I can't remember. Um, but you you can actually use a rangefinder style camera as a as an SLR, 
and uh, and it's yeah. it's a it's a really nice. I, I think it's a really good solution, but it never it never never took off. And you're also looking through a tiny uh, little window to actually see through the lens. But you do get you do actually get to look through a rangefinder style lens, um, which you just just don't get to do that. And I I think that's cool. So. Now the other cool thing about the Corefield Paraflexes is the lenses are LTM mount. They're not rangefinder coupled. But they have the same register distance, I believe, as the LTM yes. uh, mount. So you could put those lenses on a Leica and use them as scale focus, but that's dumb. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the Paraflex is great because you can use like any... I think normal LTM lenses, well, you can just put them on, right? And use them yeah. that way too. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you should get that working. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's cool. Also, the lenses are sweet. Like, which ones... Do you have the... Uh, is it the Lumax? Um, is there a 45 1.9? There's a, there's a few, I think... I can't remember the one that's on there. I think it's actually a 2.8. Uh, that's the 52.8, yeah. Uh, I think, well, no, I think it's a 45 2.8. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I've, I've, used, I've, I've used a few Caulfield lenses, and I, I really, really like them. I think they're, they're, yep. they're sweet lenses. Even, you know, the, the, the Tessar ones, dare I say it. Um, and plus, you also get the benefit, because you've got the, the, the periscope system, they tend to focus closer. Uh, than a regular rangefinder, and you can still get that accurate focus. So that that's something you've got a, you know, a, a real advantage. But uh, no, I, 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 I like um, Caulfield lenses. I think they're cool. And they're, they're they're English, so of course they're beautiful. Yes, yes, there is that. Except most of them are made in Germany. <laughs> Enna oh. <laughs> yeah. um, Enna was the um, the main. I don't think I'm not sure if they made all of them, but Enna was. Um, it was certainly uh, a company that was making a lot of uh, Caulfield lenses. I think the early ones might have been English, um, and then I think they may have switched to German production. But I think the actual design was still was still English. Um, so uh, bit of a, like like Apple designed in California, made in the sweatshop. That that that, that kind right. of thing. Uh, <laughs> right, a German sweatshop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, so yeah, thank you for that for that, Gilbert. Um, shall we move on to the next email? Uh, we could certainly do that. Um, next email is from Benton Lamb, and the subject is number 128, who uses a Mamiya C330 for macro parallax? Now, this is, this, is, this is where you were, when you were dissing uh, the Mamiya uh, TLR system. And uh, right. I, I was like saying, wow, this is really good. You can get really, really close. And then, and then you said, what a stupid thing to do, Simon. And, I uh, came so close <laughs> to writing an email about that. That was the last one I, I listened to while I was assembling. I, I really, I, you know, I, I, I obviously don't go back and listen to, to the uh, past episodes, but I'm sure I would never have said such a thing. <laughs> You did, and I agreed with you. <laughs> so the email says, Hi, uh, in the manual for the C330, the red needle in the top left corner is both a parallax cutoff and exposure compensator. Anything above the red needle is expected to be cut off. If the red needle reads 2x, one should add a stop to the exposure to compensate for the close focus. Uh, I like my C330, but if I'm frank, it's a bit too heavy for my typical use, but it is a technological marvel. Sincerely, Benton Lamb. And that's, that's, that's really cool about it. And, and again, it, it, it just goes to it that when you, you look at that camera, it, it, and I was chatting to Paul Bullock last night at the Six Times Darkroom, who, who, uh, it was his camera I was, using, I was well, playing with uh, recently. 
and it's it is heavy uh, relative to relative to a say a Roliflex. So you you've got to be a little bit more deliberate deliberately minded to use it. Perhaps it's, you know it's a less less of a casual thing, but it's just so capable. It can just do so many things more easily than 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 a Roliflex will do. Except go somewhere with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I th- we we must have discussed that there there were two trains of thought in the yeah yes. CLL world, yeah. right? And I and I and I probably is this where I compared it to an insect with an exoskeleton? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I stand by that. <laughs> It is a great. It's a great camera. Yeah, actually, in the in the the comments from that podcast, though, I think at least one person uh, wrote in to say that uh, they were thinking of buying one until they listened to the show. <laughs> no, buy one. No, don't don't oh, go buy it. Like even just go buy like a Yashica D is <laughs> the the thing is like okay if you want to do everything camera that you don't care how big or fragile it is like go buy a RB sixty seven but like a TLR is just supposed right. to be like quiet and fast to use and you put it in your pocket like the the rollies are amazing i i used a c220 and uh, 330 for a few years and like i don't know i i kept putting my thumb through the bellows which was a deal breaker (laughs) anymore they're good cameras they make good pictures but they're like heavy they're not durable you can't just like throw them in a bag in the same way they got all the adjustments on the outside like they're not fast to use it's like it's just not what a TLR should be for like 99% of what you want to use a TLR for. And that's always been my feeling about them as well. I think they're great cameras and for people who like them, it's, it's not a bad choice. It's just that I, I think they're, it's like a TLR. That's really not a TLR. Yeah. I mean, I, I a, love Mamiya, right. But like yeah. they didn't get a camera right until maybe the RB or RZ. Like, like look at the Mamiya press cameras i mean they do everything but they do everything in like they're they're designed by engineers and not by designers which is like kind of my bag right i'm i'm not such a beautiful like ui designer but also you know the the yes they will do everything but all of those things are hard to do yeah right right but go out and buy one for sure if you're thinking about getting one you should get one because it's fun camera to play with they're cool definitely okay um next we go to uh uh-oh simon are you ready i'm ready actually we'll we'll we'll, i'm just wondering if our guest can pronounce uh theo's surname i see i can hear simon saying it in my head now so i could try it but i'll probably mess it up anyway go for it uh so it's theo fill in the blank somebody Pangopolis? (laughs) (laughs) Pangopolis? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's spelled B I D D U L P A. It's so, it's Biddulf. There you go. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. Uh, so Theo Pangopolis wrote us about the Olympus OM F Zuiko 85mm F2. And he says, Hi guys. Uh, just the one question. Any of you tried the first version six element F Zuiko 85 millimeter F2? It's apparently a sonar design. It looks pretty compact, not as sharp as the second version five element design, but sharpness isn't exactly what I'm after on an 85 millimeter. 
Uh, would be glad to hear any thoughts you have. See ya, Theo. P.S. Please stop talking about Rolleiflex. I pressed buy on one yesterday. Thankfully, someone had already bought it just before me. Well, that's no fun. You got to get another keep, one. Keep trying. Yep, keep trying. Yeah, keep They're trying. really good. They're totally worth it. Get a Rolleiflex. Yeah. Um, I've not shot. I don't think I've. I, I don't think I've shot this lens. Has anyone shot this lens? I've shot the later not. one. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I've got to say, that when, when, this le- when this email came in, I had no idea uh, there was a different optical design on the, on the, on the which I assume will be a silver nose uh, version. Um, I've yeah, I don't think I was aware of it either. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. But I mean, uh, certainly the, the 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 second version is an excellent lens. Um, it's it's one of the most compact eighty five millimeter f two lenses uh, that that there is. It's 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 and it it handles beautifully. It's every, everything about that is a it's a really really good lens. So um, the other one being the Sonar, that's 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 fascinating. Yeah, um, I don't think I was even aware that there were two versions of it personally, but um, it sounds it sounds super cool. And like Simon said, I mean, it from a a size perspective, it's hard to believe it's an eighty five millimeter lens. Um, they're they're really cool lenses. Yeah. So, but I think the the the, the main point I'm seeing that none of us have actually experienced uh, the the Sonar version. I think we're pretty much all in agreement that the earlier Sonar version is the better lens. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's conclusive. Uh, okay, uh, so that's that's Theo's uh, letter. Let's uh, email, I should say. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Uh, next one is from uh, Jeff. His name is not in his email thingy at the top, but I look at the bottom, and it is Jeff in Cleveland. So Jeff in Cleveland, he writes us to say thanks, and he says, hey, guys, just discovered your podcast. Wanted to tell you how much I enjoy them. Education, humorous, love the love the dork factor. Who's a dork? <laughs> what are you talking about, Jeff? Uh, been playing them nonstop while I work in the shop. Fantastic job, Jeff in Cleveland. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. We appreciate that feedback. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, um, he includes a link to his uh, website after ah, his name. He does, yes. Uh, which is which is Wagnerrods.com. Uh, but these are fishing rods, so this is a dude who does like fishing with classic rods. If you guys, remember. oh, you guys yes. remember that. fishing with classic rods podcast. I'm looking at his website, and dude, uh, it says rod maker right there on the top. Exactly, <laughs> and and one line on his front page says, "We're also interested in purchasing or consigning vintage cane rods." I wonder if he does any fishing in Lake Erie. Seems a little dirty to eat the fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, the I mean, the perch fishing is great in Lake Erie. Yeah, I imagine it is. Yeah. I just his, his aside from the fact that as soon as you click on his webpage, it says J.D. Wagner Rod Maker, and it has that old school like uh, profile diagram of a plane, right? Like a wood plane. Uh-huh. Um, it's almost the exact same. It you would if you you could be if you were switching between this website. And um, uh, what's his name? Stephen Gandy's website. You would think you were Camera Quest. 
camera quest. It's like the same font and the same layout. So you you could switch right. two of them and you could have a great time reading about custom rods and pretty much everything rangefinder camera. Rod quest. Rod quest. Rhett, thank you, Perry. JD Wagner at RodQuest. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, actually, when 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 Perry introduced that, he he, he said Wagner, didn't didn't you there, uh, Perry? Hey, yeah. And, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm just wondering if uh, I don't know if exactly no, I don't know if Hamish Gill is uh, is is <laughs> listening to this episode, but we we perhaps like need to ask him about which is the correct way we should be actually saying that name, so that uh, he's now picking is up on the way we say Yainer and things like that. I think well, it's Wagner. He's Wagner. in America. Yeah. He's, in, he's in he's in America, right? Yeah, yeah it would definitely be Wagner. Yeah. So it'd be Wag- Wagner. Wagner. Yeah, I, I yeah. get a I get a good friend from growing up who's a Wagner. And uh when I lived in Louisiana, there was a chain of butchers called Wagner's Meats, and their slogan was nobody beats Wagner's Meats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, Nobody beats Wagner's custom-made rods. Yeah, these are beautiful too. I like. I flipped ahead to his photo gallery. These are beautiful it's, rods. They are gorgeous rods. Yeah, the reels, really the reels are really what's gorgeous. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, this is beautiful stuff. So, I, I'm sure there is definitely a cross. Well, I know there is, but for those folks who are in that category of camera camera people and fly rod people oh yeah Yeah. that's a legit thing i mean you know we've got perry here for sure i've done fly stuff too so i mean it's a legit it's a legit crossover like i think there's a there's a natural affinity between the two things i could i could happily buy one of these reels in the same way as i would buy a viewfinder yeah right it's beautiful it's lovely and also there is another crossover there because um things like billingham bags um, oh can, yeah, yeah. You, know, you swap the inserts out, and then you put your maggots in it. Yeah, because the Billingham <laughs> bags were—they were originally made for fishing. No they way! Were, Is that yeah, true? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, they're originally fishing bags. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right, beautiful stuff. I'm just all about the reels now. I'm looking at these reels. These things are beautiful. They are. This makes me want to go fishing. Just do it. Post put some fishing pictures. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, classic rods podcast that's it and we've got one more email haven't we yes we got one more from ken toomey it's not a toomey (laughs) (laughs) kenny toomey kenny kenny toomey writes us to say kodak ectra wow period space 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 just came across this weird kodak camera wondering if you if you esoteric gents ever did a review of it. If not, sounds right up your alley. Ektar lenses and all. And then he's got, you know, a couple of links there. Um, and he says, thanks, Ken Toomey. And um, I, I think we could point, didn't didn't Ekman just do a extra review? He talked about it when he was on the show. I don't know if he did a review. Because he, he mentioned that he um, he sold his Alpha to buy the Ektra. Wait, are oh, we talking okay. about That's what it was. Or are we talking about the Kodak Ektra smartphone? No, <laughs> because that <Yes>. exists. 
It is. It's the first thing that comes up on uh, when when you search for it. It seems that this 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 wonderful car, this phone. That's what happens when you recycle your product line names for you know seventy five years. Well, but Johnny, also uh, by choosing the Kodak Actress smartphone, you've chosen to take back creative control over your photography (laughs) with a one of a kind smartphone camera experience that will feel similar to DSLR users while using the ease of use and combination of unique software. Blah blah blah. Wow. So, I mean, this camera is awesome, right? We can we can all agree. The, the lenses are so cool on this. Well, there's a, I, I find it on, on Mike's site now. There's one from yeah. 1941, and that was 23rd of July last last year. Right. Um, yeah, okay. So he did, he did do a review. And I would definitely, you know, as with all things camera, if you want a, if you want a really good hands-on overview, check out, you know, Mike Ekman's review yeah. of anything is going to be a good, good, yeah. good place to start. So yeah, there's a Kodak Extra um, review on on the Ekman's site, which is excellent. So go to check that out. I mean, I think they're they're fascinating cameras. Um, <laughs> in it's sort of an American Barnack sort of way, right? <laughs> That's what right. you have to say. Um, which. I, I I don't know if we, we talked about these before. To me, they seem like they. It, it seems like you know one of those things where they've obviously tried to engineer around probably existing patents and copyrights so as not to infringe those. It, I mean, they're to me they're fascinating cameras, but they feel like they they've gone out of their way to <laughs> to, to to do things slightly differently for that for that reason. Yeah, I mean the, the the gears on the outside of the lens is a very Kodak thing. Yeah, it's super super Kodak looking. Yeah, but um, you know there, there's the between the fifty three point five Ektar, the fifty one point nine Ektar. That I'm sure they're great lenses and they look super sexy. But the thirty five uh, uh, thirty five f three point three, I believe Ektar. I would yeah. really love to try that lens because um, it's pretty rare. It's pretty hard to find, and it just. I mean, if it says Ektar, you know it's going to be good, right? Yeah, right. I mean, no doubt on the lenses, you know, for sure. It's 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 interesting. I hadn't really made this connection, which is super obvious. Um, but I mean that it's the same designer as the Metalist. And now that I see them presented sort of side by side, I'm like, oh yeah, it's super obvious that the Extra is like, you know, takes a page directly from uh, the Metalist. So mm-hmm. if you like the Metalist, you probably would like the the Extra as well. I love the Metalist. The Ektra is gross. <laughs> Controversial. Yeah. I, I think I'd rather use the Ektra personally. Yeah, me too. I, I, I think you can keep them both. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, it, it's, it, it, it seems overly complicated in a sort of very German sort of way. But these are made in in Rochester. Well, I know, but I'm I'm saying that it reminds me of post-war German design, where everything is just with much it, more complicated than with it is. none of the smoothnessity to right, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so so I'm I'm looking at the manual right now, and you know the wonderful thing about old camera manuals is they have these like welcome blurbs yeah. uh, from the company and the designer. So on the Kodak Extra, uh, Extra, it says, in the superb Kodak Extra, you will find a combination of features never before available in one 35-millimeter camera. 
including interchangeability of lenses, magazine backs, focal plane shutter with speeds from one second to a thousand, split field rangefinder coupled, uh, and a bunch of other features that you see in every single camera. Um, but, but, <laughs> well, I mean, that came after, right? But the, uh, the final paragraph, um, final two paragraphs say, arranging the controls so they are visible from the top of the camera makes it easier for the user to make the exposure quickly and to be sure each picture is taken at the desired speed. Winding the shutter and advancing the film with the same lever leaves the hands always in the operating position with the camera at eye level. These features make the Kodak Extra truly the world's most distinguished camera. Can't argue with that. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah. I bet people read that in the 40s like I was reading the uh, smartphone ad today. It's like in the 40s, <laughs> there were plenty of better cameras, probably cheaper too. <laughs> Uh, great lens lineup though i mean you gotta hand it to him yeah right i mean it's, it's got a great great lens lineup not gonna argue with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's i mean it's a cult camera it, it you know it's one of those cameras that i i suppose there's a few working ones out there but if it's not working it's gonna probably be a chore to get it working um to find someone who's gonna repair it but yeah it's a i mean it's a cult camera you know and their their lenses are a pain in the butt to adapt. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Right. Well. All right. Well, do we have uh, any other? Is yeah, that that's 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 our emails. We've quite quite a few there. Um. So sorry, it's taken us a while to to get round to to some of those. Um. I think Gilbert's been waiting for ages actually to get his uh, email on there. Um. So thank you uh, very much. Um. If people want to write into us and uh, discuss their emails. How should they do that, Johnny? Uh, please send them to classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And as we have proven yet again today, we will read them. Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we need to start to wind things down now. Um, so actually, I'm gonna, first, before we do that, I'm going to say thank you to those people that have found us on coffee.com. Um, and the first one in chronological order on the 9th of September uh, was from Nigel Cliff. Um, I don't own a Leica and probably never will. Um, I've used one thanks to Hamish, um, but it was an incredibly interesting show. And it was. You, know, you didn't have to be interested in rangefinders or Leicas to have uh, got a lot out of that show with, with Dan. It was great. And uh, uh, Dan will return in some form. Um, <laughs> um we will be definitely getting dan back if dan wants to come back as well which is even better um yeah. so um <laughs> so that, that 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 was good um then brian woolworth uh donated to us thank you very much brian again um and then somebody who goes by the handle of oh i think that's an i and l so uh elevator i'm gonna go with that um and uh, he says keep 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 up the amazing work can you can you see this perry is that, is that what you got from it i got i got iluvatar iluvatar um, I mean, well, that was, that was... Elevator, elevator works too yeah actually that, that reminds me I, I used to work for toys r us uh back in the uh uh early 90s it was and uh we had a a a man one of the store managers always a deputy at the time i can't remember but his name was david slaughter and, oh yeah, uh, and that was a it was a, that was that was a great name. And uh, but 
I know that because we used to send things over to America and back and they'll go by fax and, and stuff like that. And then uh, this, 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 this letter came uh, addressed to David. It was a return letter and it was addressed to a divid slivator. <laughs> well, uh, apparently, apparently a Louvatar is a, uh, is a Tolkien reference. Oh, uh, to the uh, to the Silmarillion lens with uh, perfect resolution, the Iluvatar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and seeing seeing that you're on there, Perry, you can read this uh, one from Danny far better than I can I can manage it. So uh, do you want to actually do you want to read the last the last two? <laughs> sure. Uh, Robert Danny uh, here in Hong Kong uh, bought a coffee for Classic Lenses podcast, and he says. Listening to this episode, I feel healthy again insofar as my gas is under control by comparison. Smiley face. Uh, P.S. I have the unfortunate ability to see dicks in the most mundane things. <laughs> yet, yet the M3 lever, lever has so far eluded me. So I guess thanks, Perry. <laughs> that was Simon's fault. That was Simon, yeah. It was Simon who pointed out that it looks like a dick. I just bought one after that. <laughs> <laughs> and and now that and we also have them on our underwear as well so uh, yes we do yeah yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> i didn't notice it before you mentioned it either simon I, but you you do it for everyone <laughs> i mean it, it but don't all advanced levers look kind of like dicks if you want to see a dick in it i mean it no no but this one really 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 looks looks like it yeah are you talking because it's got the like the glands at the end is that <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It never occurred. I mean, it's just, I don't know. This seems like a good uh, product for me to start developing. <laughs> it could be color change and everything. Oh, definitely. I See, that I would buy, Ethan. You know, that would be, I would, it could just, could it just, you could make it, it would just like slide over any advanced lever. Yeah, you know, so I think the SR. T models often had like a plastic tip on they their They did, arm. and they fall off frequently. Yeah, and so I, I, it's not a product, but I made one. I borrowed a bunch of my uh, test cameras for making um, for making grips, and my buddy Billy lent me uh, one of his SRTs, and so I just made him like that cover that fit over. I think I still have the model. I could certainly uh, make the outside more enjoyable. <laughs> right. um and we've got we've got one more do you want to do you want to do that finish us off with the last one there perry uh sure i will finish us off after that discussion um christopher j may bought a coffee give us the, give us the happy ending yeah. <laughs> christopher j may bought a coffee for classic lenses podcast and christopher j may says ugh I'm behind on listening to shows and in supporting the podcast. My apologies, guys. Here's a couple copies on me. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, no need to Hope the family's doing well. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's uh, properly wind, wind things up. Ethan, it's been th thanks for staying on. Uh, by the way, but so, I mean, we we invited you for like a little cameo. Uh, role to, to to come on and talk about the, uh, the the mongoose, but I'm really glad that you stayed with us. Oh, you can't get rid of me. Not when uh, not when we can talk about pro grips for the X Pan. Yes, exactly. That that's very <laughs> true. Um, so, Ethan, um, if people want to buy some of your quality products and also keep up with all the multiple things that you do, how should they do that? 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at Cameradactyl. That's C-A-M-E-R-A-D-A-C-T-Y-L, like a pterodactyl. You can find me at Cameradactyl.com. And the mongoose is up on Kickstarter. The link will be up on uh, Cameradactyl.com today, and it's already on Instagram. And if people want to hear your voice on a quite a regular basis, is there a way of doing that? Sure. You can find me uh, on Palomas Drive in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm uh, I'm on the Homemade Camera Podcast. We're uh, even nerdier than you guys if you want to get into real esoteric uh, mechanisms and old patents and uh, talking about future cameras that may or may not ever get built. That reminds me as well, because we had that question uh, going back a few weeks now. Um, that we couldn't really answer very well. And I got in touch with you guys and and you got the, uh, I sent the audio of the question, which I, it was, it was, I was, it was like a 3D printed lens and uh, ad mm -hmm. adapting and putting a shutter into a lens and things like that. Using SLR lenses, yeah. Yeah. And um, you guys have done something on that, haven't you? Yeah, I think we, we discussed it for about, 15, 20 minutes and let us on a few tangents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, has that, has, did that go out? Has that gone out in one of your shows yet? Uh, man. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot now. Uh, yeah, you yeah. did put me on the spot because I'm in charge of editing. I think it has been included but not released yet. I think it comes out in either the next one or the one after that. Uh, okay, so keep so, the show notes. <laughs> yeah, so keep keep listening to the classic lens. No, no, uh, no, not that one. Um, the homemade camera podcast, and you will hear that question that we vaguely alluded to, um, and you go into some some great detail there. So, uh, and thanks for doing that. Um, uh, that was that was it was really good of you. Um, so uh, so there's that. Um, Perry, how can people keep up with the things that you do? Uh, you can find me on Flickr and Instagram at Perry G. Okay. And Johnny. Um, you can come chat with me on my on my front porch, as usual. Uh, that's the only place you're pretty much going to find me. But that's not true because now you will find me on Instagram mm -hmm. again. But not in the usual place. I'm looking up. I got to talk. I got to. Uh, you you can find me on Instagram at Second City Auto on Instagram. <laughs> so if you want to see, if you want to see, if you for your enjoyment would like to see the real cars of Chicago, go to Second City Auto on Instagram and you'll find my car photos, which um, th this is the project arising out of me riding around after midnight in Chicago with my, uh, my 20, 20 millimeter, uh, Rusar lens on my, uh, on my Fuji and taking pictures of crappy cars all around Chicago. So that, that's where you will find these photos. Um, so yes, you can find me on Instagram at second city auto. I'm still not posting under system photography cause that's just boring. This is way more interesting. Uh, so yeah, you can check me out there. And you've been doing some really, really good stuff on there as well, Johnny. Thank you. And mm -hmm. and the uh, and you've, I mean, I, I don't know if it was on the podcast or whether it was in a, in a, in the chat, but um, you were chatting to Mike Novak about how to take uh, car oh, photos. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you've really, really taken uh, Mike's advice to to, to heart there. 
yes, this is Mike Novak is was my definitely the inspiration that got me started doing this because I've always found cars difficult to photograph because I personally I don't really like cars. I mean, I don't find I don't I just don't like car. I'm not a car dude. You know what I mean? Um, but I but but I, I say but at the same time I do like them. Um, I do like them as you know in terms of design design stuff. And I, and I, I find them in, interesting in that they have personality like people. So the more messed up they are, the better. Um, so, yeah, but Mike Novak's uh, advice was to get low. Um, so I've, I, I took his advice and basically I'm shooting everything with a tabletop tripod about an inch off the ground. So it's like a worm's eye view of, of view. So if you were like an ant or an insect, you know, a bug or a, or a a worm, for instance. <laughs> this is what a car would probably look like to you. If you were a worm with eyes, this is what... Did worms have eyes? Some. Some of them? Earthworms don't. Okay. So, you so if, if, you were, if you were an earthworm with eyes, crawling across the street, probably right after a rainstorm, just before getting eaten by a robin, this is what cars would look like to you. So Johnny, that's, John- that's yeah. Is it is it safe for you to be biking around Chicago not in the middle all. of the night? No, no, not not at all. I I've I'm either going to get run over or shot, and I've already I'm already like waiting for the the moment where some dude is going to come running out of his house like Big Lebowski style in the middle of the night with a baseball bat because I'm like near his car. So knock on wood that neither one of those things happened to me. And now I'm, now I'm actually thinking about it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die doing this project. Um, yeah. <laughs> so no, it is not safe for me to be doing, um, but I'm doing it anyway. Oh, that's, that, well, that's cool. And, and sorry, Simon, I, I, I've just fact checked um, the earlier claim about worms with eyes as well. Uh, <laughs> and if, you, if you Google worms with eyes, the first thing that comes up is a, headline that says meet the scottish sea worm with eyes in its butt <laughs> so nice. uh, apparently worms don't really have eyes except for this scottish worm that has butt eyes so gosh scotland okay nice. and and uh, let's have another reminder if you wish to wear any um in- intimate clothing uh, branded with classic lenses podcast yeah so 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 go go you should be going to the website anyway just because it's you know it's got all the cool classic lenses podcast stuff, um, but if you go to the if you go to the classic lenses you will see the link that says merchandise, and then you click that link and it takes you to another link because I haven't figured out how to code the link directly into the top menu because it's not like a real website it's like the free website you get with Podbean. So anyway, you click merchandise and then you click merchandise again and it takes you to the shop, and that shop has. T-shirts, stickers, ball caps, hoodies, and underpants. And you, you have to click products to see the full lineup because yeah, the landing click, page will only give you the first right, eight or so. Click, click on and then you also have to click I am over 18. Do you really? No. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I, I could put that as a choice. <laughs> but no, yes, you click on, click on products and it'll take you to, you know, all of the products. And then and – then, Actually, I can code that so it does it automatically. Anyway, um, go there and buy some classic lenses underpants and send us a photo of yourself wearing your classic lenses underpants. And we will definitely feature 
you on the podcast. And you can be anonymous. It can just be underpants without a head. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can, you can, you can, you can pixelate out your face. You could not include your face in the photo. We just want to see your package in the underpants. Is that, I'm not sure if that, if that we is entirely encompassing of, of uh, Perry and I. No, it's definitely a we. We, we all want to see this. Come on. Just, it's okay, Simon. It's not like a gay thing. It's just, you know, and that's okay too. We just want to see you <laughs> modeling. We just want to see, we just want to see someone actually modeling a pair of our underpants. That's all. Is that a Sumacron in your pants or are you <laughs> just a, right, exactly. underwear? Exactly. So any, I mean, I mean, for that matter, any, any bit of swag, you could like get any bit of swag from the classic lenses podcast swag shop, like a sticker or a cap or a t-shirt. You could any of those. And send us a picture of you modeling said item. That would be wonderful. Cool. And um, if people want to do anything connected with us on Instagram, what's the best way of doing that? Um, they can go to Second City Auto on Instagram. <laughs> that would be great. No, you can go to Best Vintage Lens on Instagram is our classic lens brethren on Instagram. Um, and you can go see pictures, photos made with classic lenses there on Instagram. So definitely do that. And I just realized I've, I've forgotten to ask anybody if they're going to shout out. So let's head back over to Albuquerque. Or as uh, I, I love Albuquerque when it's said with a New York, New York accent. Well, how, how else do you say Albuquerque? Albuquerque. <laughs> Albuquerque. Hey, stick with me, toots. Hang on, hang on. I'm filling out the order form for this Bokake hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll come back to you, uh, Johnny. Have you got any, any shout outs this week? Um, I don't think so. I did my shout out. I did my shout out uh, last week for filter fine, didn't I? Yeah. I did. Yes, I did my filter fine shout out. I'll give another shout out anyway because filter fine is awesome. Um, uh, but uh, no, I think that's all I got. Okay, uh, Perry, any, sh any shout outs? Uh, two quick ones. Uh, another quick shout out to Anu Jindal. The uh, the four, the 50 millimeter Ultron um, is now here and I am playing with it and I will talk about it next week uh, if I don't remind, remember to ask me about it. Um, and also a quick, oh crap, I've forgotten the other one. Oh, yeah, just a, a quick shout out again to Dan Tamarkin for being an awesome guest last week and for giving me some yeah. truly spectacularly strange gas not as weird as his lens cap gas but but some serious gas so watch this space okay well i've i'm going to shout out again uh, to graham jago with sunday 16 podcast and sunday 16 presents uh because i i did mention that uh he did an interview with me and and others and that was going to be coming out last week uh it didn't it's still not out and uh <laughs> um it, it might come out this week you never know um but there's a if it's not out this week it'll be out by next week at least you would you know we'd hope so at least anyway um so if you want to listen to that um that's on their second channel uh, which is sunday 16 presents um so if you're already listening to sunday to the sunday 16 16 podcast you won't actually automatically get to hear that uh, so um so yeah so uh, thanks to graham eventually for for getting getting that out um ethan have you got any any shout outs uh oh i'm unprepared again uh but i did just get a hat 
I was just going to say, can, can I go back and give a shout out to uh, Ethan uh, Moses for, for buying a Kokake <laughs> great again cap? <laughs> I don't think I'll wear it in public, but I'll, I'll wear it on the podcast. <laughs> Outstanding. So you, you, you didn't buy the underpants then? Nah, you know, I I could use a few sit-ups before uh, modeling that, you know? You could, Ethan, you could crop it so that we, I mean, you can creatively crop this photo as much as you want. I would have to be extremely creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank, thank you very much, Ethan. Um, okay, so uh, for me, uh, oh, I've done my shout out now, and, um, and my contact details are, I'm on Twitter uh, is Simon Four. I'm on my website is Simon Photographic.co.uk. Um, and also Simon Forster Photographic is my Instagram handle as well. And on the subject of Simon Forster Photographic.co.uk, um, apart from having uh, wonderful pixelator inserts, well, actually one, but I'm working on lots of others. Um, but I've got the one for the uh, mounted slides, uh, will go straight into Hamish Girls Pixelator. Um, I've also just perfected, I think is the word, um, a TLR cap uh, that will work on just about any Bay 1 uh, TLR, which is Rolly Cords, Rolly Flexes, Yashikas, and all sorts of things. As long as it's got lugs on it, um, and they're Bay 1 lugs, then it will work on it. And also, um, in America, if you want one, uh, Ben Kuto uh, is partnering with me from the kuto camera company and he will make you one as well and i'm currently working on and this is this is this is news to everybody um double-ended caps uh, because this was a, a suggestion that came to me um when i posted some pictures on bright orange caps which people have loved but nobody's bought one um <laughs> and uh, somebody uh, and i can't remember who it was so I do apologize um but uh, suggested that uh, i should make double-ended caps ideally for like an m mount uh, but i don't actually make mount caps what i'm going to now um, but i have actually made um, a double-ended cap or two versions actually for um contacts kiev uh, mounts lenses and uh, it looks great i i've been you. watching this i don't want to butt in but like damn simon uh you were like the king of lens caps these days yeah <laughs> it's really really good looking did we um did we discuss what we, we what we what we said they looked like <laughs> well, we, yeah, we, we can't lower the tone of this podcast anymore, so we may as well. Well, I mean, you know, they do look good, but both you and I agree that they kind of look like a double-sided, um, a double-ended. Uh, Don't say the word. God, you guys are awful. A double-ended <laughs> lens cap. Yeah. A, the, Bye now. There, there's a town in Newfoundland uh, with this name. Let's just say that. Lens cap. <laughs> what? There's, well, there's, there's a town called Dildo. <laughs> oh, I thought it was called Lens Cap Newfoundland. <laughs> well, there, there we go. So uh, they will they will be up for your viewing pleasure pretty, pretty soon. But so I'm just um, trying to make them in a, in, a, in a few bright colours and things. Well, there's two versions. There's a uh, there's a slim slimline one, and there's a more bulbous version, which I think is the one that Perry's referring to. Um, and they will they will be out soon. So, uh, so there you go. So anyway, that that's it. We've we've been here long enough. Um, thank you. Ethan for hanging around with us. Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to come talk to you guys. No, oh, it's, it's 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 been great, and uh, and we only actually asked you last night as well to do you want, do you want to come on and talk about mongoose. So, I mean, you asked me last night, but I've been waiting for months. <laughs> 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 it's what I dream about at night. 
<laughs> well, thank, thank you, thank you again. Um, right, our music is by Kevin McLeod and it's called Octo Blues, um, and that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs> <laughs>